0: Hello, and welcome to the next edition of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian, anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is a very special night because, well, Robert, they're coming to get you, Robert. They're coming to get you, Robert. That's right, everyone. We're going to do the Night of the Living Dead, both the 1968 version and the 1990 version, and we have a special guest who's going to join us. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about a project that we've been working on, us uh, and our fellow podcasters in the libertarian circles. Uh, it's called libertarianunion.com, and it's essentially a podcast station where uh, there's several of us libertarian and anarcho-capitalist podcast shows that have come together to all be in one spot. Now, we still all have our own websites and our own podcast feeds and everything like that, but. If you like any of the shows that I'm about to list here, including our own, the Actual Energy Podcast, uh, do check out libertarianunion.com. You can find more great content from such places as Liberty Weekly, Don't Waste Your Hate, The ANCAP Barbershop, Wizardly Wisdom, Foreign Policy Focus, and Battle for Liberty. Uh, We're going to be adding a few more as we uh, gain additional friends and and, uh, followers and and whatnot. So do check that out, libertarianunion.com. It's super good. There's over 400 different episodes from five or six different providers so more than you can uh, probably handle so do check that out com. and uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that this is episode 47 of the actual anarchy podcast and we're going to have a special guest named Mike C who we will be introducing in just a moment and uh, I don't know a whole lot about him other than He reached out to us via email a few months back and made some recommendations for some movies that he thought would be good for us to discuss on the show. And as we are wont to do, we we asked him, uh, hey, uh, you got any interest in in being a guest? So uh, he's going to be joining us and I'll let him tell you and us uh, about him in more detail before we get started on the show here. Um, and the only other stuff I wanted to mention is if you like the stuff that we do here, if you like our show, you can support us on Patreon and that's at, uh, patreon.com slash And I know that, uh, it's a, uh, it's a bit of a motivator for us. So if we see some activity there or on our Facebook pages and whatnot, it kind of gives us a little extra gusto to keep on trucking or keep on, uh, yeah, is that what they say in, um, oh, there's a movie with Will Ferrell and keep on trucking. Oh, old school. That's right. Old school. That's another one we're going to be doing soon at some point. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you a listener and you're interested in doing a show, uh, maybe you're a good candidate for old school. So hit us up at uh, daniel at readrothbar.com or robert at readrothbar.com or make some comments on our uh, Facebook pages or anywhere else. And uh, uh, with that, why don't we uh, have you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us your sort of libertarian uh, journey into becoming an ANCAP, if, if that's how you self-identify today?
2: Well, I'm not, okay, um, I'm about as libertarian as I am
0: sort of vegan. So I
2: eat rescue eggs and oysters, you know, and I'll have I'll have nachos when I'm at the bar. So there's a few aspects of my libertarianism that are sort of, that I cheat on, um, just because of the... I'm just pragmatic about sort of where we need to go from this position, right? So, I mean, ideally I'd like to... Um, I'd like to see zero subsidy, some sort of basic health care uh, bottom line, and then um, I guess a negative tax, the way um, Friedman was talking, like uh, like a, what's it called, universal basic income, um, to transition from where we are now to something better. And I don't know what that, that better thing would look like if, if we could get to some sort of purely voluntary society. That would be fantastic. So I'm realistic about the nature of violence and authority, I guess.
0: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So it's, it's more like the end goal would be a totally yeah. voluntary system, but you're, you're talking about like steps to sort of dismantle yeah, the current uh, overarching state and, and just give it some smaller pieces to kind of wean people off of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think, I mean, the transition would be pretty awful for a bit unless everyone clued in to responsibility. Like, you know, Monday morning, everyone was like, okay, I think I'll be responsibility or responsible for my own existence uh, instead of identifying with some sort of group, um, you know, system. Uh, and I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe we do, like, I I don't know if I, you know, necessarily know, I guess, I don't know if I know whether or not human beings can exist like that. So, since we never have, or we haven't, since people have started, like, collecting money and uh, stockpiling grain and having a church to put the grain in and, and then doling it out and saying that that's, like, charity even though you gave it to him in the first place. like th- These systems are just so entrenched. It's very difficult to see us, uh, to know what we would do without them, without just. But
1: Mike, I mean, like we were talking about before with the boiling frog, I mean, if there's anything we've learned from the past, whatever, human history, is that human beings are amazingly adaptable. Oh, absolutely. We, we become accustomed to, what's the new level of tyranny? Or, you know, yeah. what's the new level of freedom? I think, I think we'd be equally adaptable to getting the social security net pulled or the social safety, you know, yeah, I, I that just kind of crap pulled that. away from us, and then, oh, no, all of a sudden I have to do something. I think I think human beings would respond to that.
2: No, no, I'm, I'm positive they would. I just uh, I think that a lot of people aren't capable of taking care of themselves in this generation without, like, this, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. It just seems like everybody's got uh, kind of a group thing going on the way we was talking about.
0: And, and perhaps they're they're penned in a little bit too much right now? Like yeah, they're, and I just, they're so dependent. Yeah,
2: and like yeah, we should be our vector should be no government. Um, government exists partly at least because violence exists and people use it to dominate each other. So I'm not really sure how we would get away from that overnight. And it isn't it isn't even the economics necessarily. It's just the fact that people won't adhere to a non aggression principle. Because of the they've been trained well
1: the state doesn't even get recognized as violating the non-aggression principle though
2: no i know that's, that's I, kind I, of our
1: job it, yeah, it, that's it, the it first gets step, couched right? in freedom and just the way things are i mean they don't even get called out on it
2: yeah no I, like yeah i mean I, you, you, the guests in your show you're probably preaching to the choir anyway right so like <laughs> uh I, i'm with you guys on on anarchy i'm just trying to think of like whether or not i would i, I will see it in my lifetime
0: so so mike how should we refer to you as are, are just mike mike c mike c is fine mike I'm okay and you right, had mentioned that, that you have a uh a sound um is that like music or a show or or yeah no no what? i just
2: put it i put together um some music some electronic music um we got some sound bites in there um it's called mechanical dream revolution is the name of the the channel um and you you might like it i got a uh an album called Stir the Pot, and it's got a girl with a uh, in front of a Christmas tree, and it's just a saxation theft and It's just like a workout mix I put together with a bunch of electronic stuff. You you might actually like it if if you like the um, the intro music.
0: Yeah, I like it already, actually. So I'll check that out. Send me a link in uh, yeah, an email, sure. and then I'll put it in our show notes page, which can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 47, where we're going to be talking about Night of the Living Dead. So why don't we get into that? And uh, if you're familiar with our show, we generally start out with a Google description. I'll re- give it a read, and then we talked about how, how ridiculously wrong it is. And in the honor of doing two Night of the Living 1968 version and a 1990 version, I, th- I think uh, we'll do both of them, if that's all right with you guys. Uh, so do you want me to read both? Uh, before we make comment, or should we do one and then comment and then do the other? How are you feeling, guys? Both. My vote's both. But,
2: I mean, democracy is sort of a
0: soft version of communism after all. That, that is true. <laughs> yeah. I should just dictate how this is going to go here.
1: <laughs> Use <laughs> your own judgment, it. Daniel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Individual. Individual choice. Uh, and I do want to mention, um, George A. Romero, he just died recently, right? Like uh, yeah. two months ago, maybe? Mm. So this is a, a bit timely. That, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm, I'm really recently. hoping he gets reanimated somehow. I mean, it really seems fitting. Yes. zombie Yeah, around.
0: exactly. All right, well, here is the 1968 version, Night of the Living Dead. Google description, 1968 drama, science fiction film, one hour, 37 minutes. It uh, plays on the YouTube and almost anywhere else, and we'll talk about why in a few moments here. It's got a 7.9 out of 10 on the IMDb, 96% Rotten Tomatoes, and 84% of Google users like it. And the description says, a disparate group of individuals take refuge in an abandoned house when corpses begin to leave the graveyard in search of fresh human bodies to devour. The pragmatic Ben, played by Dwayne Jones, does his best to control the situation, but when the reanimated bodies surround the house, the other survivors begin to panic. As any semblance of order within the group Begins to dissipate, the zombies start to find ways inside, and one by one, the living humans become the prey of the deceased ones. And that's the end of that description. Uh, release date October 1st, 1968. This is, of course, George A. Romero, and a, a relatively meager budget of $114,000. Nothing
1: that Yeah, it like, went on to make uh, like $30 million.
0: So without, $1, without $1, copyright? copyright? <laughs> that's a yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, it went on to do quite well, and, and uh, I'd argue that if it had a copyright, we probably wouldn't be talking about this movie today.
2: No, we wouldn't. I mean, zombies wouldn't be a thing.
1: Yeah, our entire pop culture would look very different. It wouldn't be like a Game of Thrones or a Walking Dead. Yeah, or I, mean, I, could,
2: I could do without the, the sort of fifth, sixth uh, seasons of Walking Dead. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, we, we watched the first three or four and then uh, just kind of gave up on it. We didn't get to the uh, – is it the Nagon? Is that his name?
2: Yeah, Negan. I mean, it just, it just keeps – it's just uh, analogies for government over and over. But it's not – like the writing is just lazy. Uh, <laughs> the, they, the governor was a good, you know, example of government, and then they, they had Alexandria. And, you know, uh, it wasn't too bad. But uh, it just – I feel like they just want to stretch it out. It just doesn't seem like, like they're willing to put in the effort to condense things and make them juicy for me. Now, is Rick Grimes still around? Is he still know. alive? I quit, I quit watching after they pulled they pulled a trick on me, and I'm like, that's a trick. They're just using camera angles to make me think something happened that didn't. So.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, was I'm, that when what's his name died under the dumpster?
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The guy, I'm just like yeah. I'm never watching the show again. These guys like, don't I'm done.
1: respect. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you guys Let's made it out. further than I did. We made it to where they were trapped in the train car, in the box car, and, and oh, it was like yeah. the, the end of whatever season, and then we, we just dropped, left it there. Because
2: he wasn't willing to drop the F-bomb? Was that the problem? Because that was a huge issue for me. Because
0: They're screwing with
2: the wrong people, and I'm like, screwing? <laughs> you're,
1: trapped? you're trapped in a train car? <laughs> in the zombie <laughs> apocalypse, and you're watching your language? Is that yeah. what you do?
0: Yeah, yeah. You yeah. called the shit poop. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, uh, have either of you I guys ever watched or read, read the comic book, though? Uh, the comic book is pretty strong.
2: Yeah, they, uh, that's, that's what I hear, so it's on the
1: list. Yeah, yeah, okay. The, uh, the TV show is, yeah, a bastardization that is seemingly being milked for every last dollar at the expense of good writing, but yeah, the comic book is still pretty good. Said, anyway,
2: okay. Sorry, yeah, we should probably talk about the movie we're supposed to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if, if you've listened to us, uh, I think you said it 10 or 15 times, you, you know how we do this. It just kind of meanders. That's it's how we are. <laughs> Difficult for us to stay on topic. But let's move on to the 1990 description, and then we can start doing our analysis scene by scene and compare and contrast stuff. Uh, so 1990... Thriller, horror, remake, hour and 36 minutes, also called The Night of the Living Dead. And this is 6.9 on the IMDb, 68% Rotten Tomatoes and 83% of Google users like it. So not quite as uh, favorable with the critics and uh, people just uh, in general. And the description says, For reasons unknown, the recently deceased are rising from the grave as flesh-hungry zombies. Fleeing from the undead horde, a small group of survivors, including including Barbara, played by Patricia Tallman, Ben, Tony Todd, and Harry, Tom Towles, sequester themselves in a remote farmhouse with the zombies outside the house multiplying, tensions flare, as the group argues over the best way to escape their increasingly dire situation before they are overrun completely. Uh, directed by Tom Savini, had a budget of $4.2 million, came out in uh, October of 1990, so... Not too much to
1: quibble yeah, with on right. that one either. No, I, I yeah. wouldn't argue with it. I mean, there's there's not a lot of whole not a lot of differences between the two. Uh, spoiler alert: I mean, Ben dies in both, but in one he's killed by like Marshalls, mistaken with a zombie, and the other one he is a zombie. I'm sure there are some other differences, but those are the that's the main thing that I think of.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, the main um, my my biggest uh, the thing I, I noticed that, that was the largest difference was Barbara's character is vastly
0: different in this
2: in the remake. Okay. Yeah. So let's well, talk about that.
0: So the 1968 yeah. version, she's uh, she's a very well. Yeah, but she, she, she's, she breaks down. Yeah, she breaks down. She has a mental breakdown, kind of goes into this uh, catatonic state almost, and they can sort of coax her out of it with, um, "Oh, we're gonna leave. We're gonna go somewhere," and she she's like, "Oh, I want to go. I want to go." Yeah. Uh, but that's really all that she's able to do. Yeah. Um, and then when um, what's her name, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Cooper, is that? who it is. She's getting attacked by the doorway and the zombies are breaking in and she finally snaps out of it and goes to try to help. And then they both get devoured.
2: (laughs) Well, her brother shows up, right? Which is like a, I guess the only, the only aspect of her character that had any sort of depth was, I mean, she was really just there to to be hysterical or catatonic and and be a victim. So, um, but her brother shows up and it was me at the beginning and she can't handle that as well, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so she, she's able to break out of her state to go help until her brother shows up and just brings her right back into it. Right. It's like too much of a shock for her because earlier in the film, um, in the 1968 version, she says, my brother's still out there. I need to go get him. I need to go get him. And Ben's like, calm down, calm down. And then she tries to get out and he, he, uh, he punches her in the face, (laughs) uh, to which my, my wife was, was kind of upset by that. I mean, Culture yeah, is a little yeah. bit different from 1968. Uh, I, my comment to I her was. Think,
2: I don't think hitting, I, closed fist hitting was okay even then. I think that was pretty. <laughs> but this, this is a movie, I mean, it's got a pair of naked breasts in it, so I, I'm pretty sure this is, um, you know, rated R. Uh, it's it certainly outside the, the sort of general viewing audience.
0: Yeah, there's actually some interesting um, information on that. I read through the wiki a little bit, and I guess that this movie came out right before some of the uh, MPAA ratings were put into place. So uh, Roger Ebert, actually, in his critique of the film was like, uh, this this film is, is able to – tickets are able to be purchased by, like, eight-year-olds, and the government needs to do something about this. Uh, or no, like, no self-respecting – Movie theater owner or operator should sell tickets to children. Like he tried to publicly shame them, uh, and he yeah, was um, he was saying that that uh, because the government didn't have regulations regarding this, that, that it was a big problem and that kids were going to be traumatized by this.
2: Yeah, because I didn't see RoboCop till I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I remember. I mean, I, I almost pissed my pants watching RoboCop too. It was like 10 or 12 or something. Like. You know. <clears throat> Um, yeah, like, yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. The immediate response is always, well, we need to stop people from doing this with some use of force. I'm like, well, why don't you just tell our parents to be parents if you're worried about it? And if not, then I don't know. I'm not sure why your big brother is going to solve that problem for you.
0: Right. And, and you could almost take the argument towards, um, you know, the, the standard trope in the minor uh, and cap debate groups like, should you be able to sell heroin to a six year old, you know, cause then in, in, in it would sort of be um, somewhat permissible, but I think that there would be social norms and, and sort of a consensus kind of uh, well, response yeah, in yeah. the market that would prohibit most of that activity.
2: Yeah. Like if everyone's addicted to heroin, the uh, society collapses completely. So there's no, I mean, it's punished. The behavior is punished. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, my concern, I guess, would, would be for like uh, people that can't, you know, sort of sue you know, in a purely sort of civil system, right? So if, if somebody's murdered, uh, but they're an orphan, there's nobody to sue for wrongful death, right? Those are the, the minutia. But I mean, like, how how dangerous could could a group be if that's what they're arguing about? You know, like, I mean, I say we give them a shot if <laughs> we give anarchy a shot if if they're worried about the minutia of who's going to build roads. I mean, that doesn't seem very violent or or dangerous to me.
0: Right, if that's, the, if that's the extent of our problems. <laughs> yeah, and, like, everybody else
2: is arguing over who who gets to have the the ring of power, and we're just kind of like, well, what we need to do is carry it to the fires of Mordor and of, of Mount Doom and, and throw it in to get rid of it forever, right? So, so Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm ready to throw that ring in.
2: Yeah. A long yeah
0: and and speaking of, of rings of power, uh, I just pulled up an image. This is the title shot. Hmm. Of yeah, the Night of Living Dead from 1968, and uh, there's something conspicuously missing from this, a, a certain ring uh, with a C in the middle of it, and that is a copyright and... Uh, We'll be posting a a short YouTube article or video about this um, in the show notes page, but at the time that this film was made, it was originally going to be called Night of the Flesh Eaters. Is that right, Mike?
2: Yeah, Um, I don't know. That's what the internet told me.
0: Okay, yeah, so the the internet is never wrong, and uh, apparently a movie called The Flesh Eaters had come out just a few years prior to this, and Romero had wanted to call the film Night of the Flesh Eaters, but because... It was too close to the name of the previous movie, and they didn't want it to be uh, too similar or be thought of as an extension of that film. And it may have had its own copyright argument to prevent him from doing it. When he went to his um, uh, distribution company, they decided to change the name of the film to Night of the Living Dead. And in doing so, they remade this title screen shot but without the copyright information. And according to the 1909 version of copyright law, uh, you actually had to have that copyright exhibited in the first public showing of whatever the work is. Uh, Otherwise, you lose the copyright forever, which, you know, I'm all for that. That's great. But in 1976, eight years after this film came out, they switched it around to now it's more of a everything is sort of by default copyrighted. And uh, you can enforce, you know, with the boot of government uh, against anyone else using any of your content. And YouTube loves to do this all the time. We, we get copyright strikes often, early and often. Uh,
2: Just pictures or?
0: Pictures or sometimes. Uh, we did the Man of Steel one uh, recently for episode 46, and I had the trailers playing in the background on our Patreon video, and that, that got flagged three times for copyright.
2: You'll you'll find that um, generally when a studio is sensitive about criticism because the movie's horrible, they don't like any anything outside of the studio's um, sort of uh, PR. Uh, using using images, so that, that's what I've noticed is that it generally happens when everybody's panning a film. Oh, okay. They start the copyright because they don't want the word to get out or any kind of dialogue, right? They want people isolated and and told what they're supposed to. I mean, it's kind of like school, right?
0: Yeah, you <laughs> we weren't particularly yeah, that really kind to that film.
2: <laughs> Man, well, steal. I don't think I don't think a lot of people were. That's the thing. So I mean, uh, I'm sure screen junkies was allowed to uh, use it if if they did do an honest trailers or something. Speaking of the fall to Hollywood.
0: Um. Yeah. 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 I I actually did do a a dispute of, of this saying it's fair use and you know, these are the the publicly available trailers of the film and I didn't even use, I did not even use the audio. It's just playing in the background and they still denied it. Uh, So basically if anyone clicks on the ads in, in that, um, in that, video of ours, then yeah. uh, the rad revenue, the four cents that we might have otherwise made goes to
2: them. Yeah, so, I mean, Patreon's a good solution to all these problems, kind of the way, yeah, I, think, I and I think that would have come along, uh, it would have come along a lot sooner had we not had the whole NAS- Napster sort of shut down and, and Metallica getting involved, and when, when, when copying information and sharing it became readily available because of the technology, uh, I think the consumer and the artist would have found a solution amicably quickly. um,
0: Yeah, I I agree. uh, Robert Robert and I were back in uh, college pretty big users of the old Napster. And it's it's one of those things that as soon as you get into it, you're like, oh my gosh, I can get anything I want. So then you kind of go on this like binge, right? And you get hundreds or thousands of songs from wherever. But then you sort of uh, get maxed out, and and each new like search or download is like, oh, is it worth it? Do I do I really want to expend the uh, two mouse clicks to get that song? I don't know. Yeah. You know, the marginal utility becomes so so infinitely yeah. well, small. For a DJ,
2: it would probably be you know it would be useful. But uh, yeah, there's a point at which you start curating your your free. Stuff, but like I think that you would eventually be going. Okay, well maybe I should give this artist some money or something, you know. Or uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure that it was the studios that pushed the government because they're not the, studios, the producers. The the what do call The the shirts, the suits, right? The distributors. Yeah, they don't actually do anything. They don't produce anything. They just distribute it. And I mean that is a service when you're moving physical copies of something and you need that network. But I mean, once we have it digitally in place, they should have just disappeared and found better jobs,
0: different jobs. Yeah, that's another uh, instance of a dinosaur industry trying to hang on to itself, hang on to its place using government force.
2: Well, and we waited so long for Patreon, and Patreon's finally here, right? I mean, it seems like that that should have happened 20 years ago. Uh, And and now it's being sort of uh, leaned on right, to stop, to, to regulate itself before the government steps in and regulates it for you.
0: Right, which they want to do. So, Robert, I know you have some of the copyright rant. So, I'm going to just wind you up and let you go on this. But
1: um, what? <laughs> you need copyright? Apparently. Yeah, copyright. Um, I'm not really sure what you want me to do, Daniel. Um, it's, it's it's difficult for me. I mean, I I don't want to use government force to enforce my you know protection of any kind of an idea that I have that I once I put out there. It's, it's fair game um but it is it, at the same time it is kind of difficult to make a living as an artist in this world where you are i mean as a consumer you know you 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 appreciate a thing and you're like well if i don't contribute to this thing's existence then it's not going to exist anymore and there won't be any more of it yeah and so then you're like well i guess i better pay something but at the same time you're not really it's hard to say for me i mean i theoretically Copyright is, yeah, it's this government force.
2: Yeah, well, you can't um, duplicate a live performance, so
1: there's Very that. true. Um, very true. And maybe as art, we get more along the lines of you need to adapt to the market and you need to create something that isn't easily replicable you know, digitally maybe... or you rely on people's understanding of this is how they make a thing. But um, I, I, I'm struggling to, to find my rant, Daniel... Well, you're, you're basically
0: highlighting the free rider problem, right? I feel like... Um, the, the
1: problem, right? like um, well, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's somewhat true. The free rider problem, there is always that issue of distribution. Um, if, if, if the piracy market uh, distributes the product better than the, than the artist can, then that's generally how it's going to get to the public. But at the same time, you know, a lot of... Um, I'm not going to say a lot of, but there's a big problem with copyright, or they say problem but a lot of uh, video game makers have issues with not only piracy, but also YouTubers. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before where like the entirety of your game is simply like a narrative experience and then a YouTuber will play through it and you'll get the entire experience just by watching the video or you'll play the game anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A a big portion of that population isn't going to play the game anyway or um, I just had a thought. I'm sorry. I just lost it. Um, Wouldn't play the game anyway, but, but, but that video not only is, serves as advertising or that... that um, Oh, it
2: absolutely serves
1: as ad- advertising. I mean,
2: Pirate, Right, but, so a lot
1: of people will uh, serve uh, like a, a uh, torrent uh, website and they'll find a video game that they would have never have paid for otherwise or never even found about out or heard of, but they'll download it, try it, and then go ahead and buy it if they want the legitimate copy. Or maybe the legitimate copy, you know, has some features that the pirate version doesn't. It's essentially treated like a demo.
2: There was a... Uh, um, there was a game uh it was called Game Dev Simulator which is basically a, a very simple uh simulator like an economic simulator game business him uh, where you make video games. They released a pirated version that people could get that wouldn't let you make get past a certain stage in the game because pirates were stealing all your game. Yeah. So you couldn't you couldn't sort of beat the game because and so the people that had stolen this game or stolen it, whatever had, had got this game for free, however you want to say it, uh, were writing the company to find out what was going on. And was like, yeah, it's a pirated version. <laughs> the the long on. troll. Yeah, the long. Yeah, it was a pretty good <laughs> troll. It was pretty good <laughs> troll. And it was, it was a ten dollar game, but maybe maybe more individuals should be concerned about producing their own art, and we don't need these massive institutions producing everything from the top down. And eventually, we'll form some sort of guild or collective, you know, and and voluntarily sponsor each other.
1: And, and there's also a certain amount of reputation that comes along with, um, with uh, running your business a certain way. Like, um, there are certain video game companies in the world that don't use a lot of digital rights management, mm-hmm. like uh, CD Projekt Red comes to mind, and they get a lot of support from the community as a result of that, whereas a company maybe like Ubisoft uses a lot of DRM that is overly mm-hmm. obtrusive and really messes with you and just engenders with a whole lot of ire and resentment. Yeah. And, you know, cause they'll, you'll, you'll buy a game like, I don't know, like a SimCity or some other game and either they've got some horrific DRM that comes in and installs some kind of Trojans in your machine or say that there's some kind of online only component to the game. So you can't even play it offline. Yeah. I mean, and then they'll true. shut down the servers a couple of years later and you're like, great. I'm using your product, yeah. Well, but then the, I mean, the pirate community will come out and fix it.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. if, if somebody and I, honestly, you could you could set up your own servers then and and just host the game you know elsewhere. I play I play Overwatch actually. It's completely online. Um, but Blizzard's got a good track record for supporting their their software, like indefinitely, right? I'm not sure if, right. if World of Warcraft Definitely. is still going or if they shut it down yet. But I mean, that's ten years.
1: Starcraft is still going. Yeah, the original. So, really? Well, they just released it and they're re-releasing a like a remastered version. I don't know oh, if that's nice. come out yet or not, but. Yeah, it's supposedly
0: pretty cool. Yeah, well, I've I've long argued that as long as you um, can enforce it through voluntary means and and technology, that's totally fine, but then you you pay the cost of that in the market, right? Like you were just saying, like, Certain companies don't have a lot of intrusive DRM, and others do. And so that favors the ones that don't have it. And, and my favorite example is one that we use, Robert, and that's Voodoo uh, with the Ultraviolet and now Movies Anywhere, which is the the Disney version. Um, as compared to Amazon Prime or Netflix or iTunes and those sort of isolated uh, ecospheres or, or little sandboxes that they build uh, that have a lot of DRM, make it very difficult to share content. Um, That gives Voodoo an advantage for me to want to purchase my content through them because I can now share that with you and a few other people. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure at what point, like I guess technically, you know, somebody else listening to a tape that you're playing in your, in your tape player is a copyright infringement That's you know, at some point because the second that somebody else is like listening to the thing that you purchased, it's a violation of, you know, the, these ridiculous terms we've created—that makes any sense,
0: right? That that sure, no one yeah, no. has—that the uh, affected party has not agreed to. They're not yeah. a party to it. So it's a it's a it's a negative servitude on a non-participant in in the contract. And so by that rationale, it's not a valid contract. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Let's move yeah, back to funny. the movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have Night of the Living Dead if. If the the copyright laws were you know more consistent, I guess historically.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's our little side rant on copyright. That's probably half the show at this point. Uh, so why don't we do a quick um, you know summary of the movie? I know I just read the Google description, but it's it's basically both stories are essentially the same. Uh, a brother and sister are driving out to bumfuck Pennsylvania to visit a grave site in one of them. It's uh, the mother and in the other one, it's, it's the father and the brother of the girl is like, Oh, they're going to get you. They're going to get you. I want some candy. know, he starts like messing with his sister and, uh, uh, they see some, some old older gentleman kind of shuffling towards them and he's like, Oh, he's going to get you. And yeah, he is <laughs> literally, you know, and, in um, yeah, well, and you I don't think... expect that, right.
2: It's kind of a play on our, um, our expectations, or, you know, the, the character's expectations. Of, they're, they're almost uh, updating horror movies, in a way. I think that's what he was trying to do. Right, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. The monsters coming to get you, it's like, well, monsters don't exist. Well, guess what they actually do? They're called
0: zombies. Right, and in 1968 version, they didn't even use the word zombies. No. I think they referred to them as ghouls or maybe even flesh eaters. But uh, in, in the 68 version, uh, the girl gets attacked and the brother comes to her rescue and, and gets killed uh, in the other one uh, the brother gets attacked directly right and yeah, I
2: guess yeah yeah. and yeah, his head
0: smashes right. on, on a headstone and, and about that a bit more gruesome
2: yeah well I mean some of the special effects are brilliant in the 1990 version and some of them you can just see the rubber move every once in a while so when his head hit there I'm just like yeah I mean it looks bad but it also looks like a dummy
0: <laughs> right yeah that's true yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, there's a pretty big difference in the two female leads. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In like them, you know?
2: I'm not sure if that's a product of the time or, or what, but uh, Barbara in the 1990 version has an actual story arc with character development and uh, and a lot of, like, aspects that sort of go into that that I noticed just recently, like on this viewing. In um, and, and the 68 version, she's just kind of... She doesn't have a lot of agency. Um, yeah,
0: she just kind of descends into madness in the 68 yeah, version. Yeah, I mean
2: zombies, you know flesh eaters would, would upset you a great deal and you might go into a fugue state or a catatonic state, so but I mean it's not a very interesting character. She's just to right.
0: be a victim. And and the nineteen ninety version I kind of likened it to um, you know, at first she's doing a lot of just screaming and it's almost the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in uh, Halloween mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then she turns into Ripley or well, is Ripley's it
2: Ripley? Sorry Connor, yeah
0: she was in in Alien she was week and running because really right.
2: the horror film, and then she turned into you know, or Sarah Connor.
0: Yeah, yeah. So she by the end of this movie, she come becomes super badass, right? Yeah, yeah. like she but, totally turns the corner, and it's uh, I I saw a big SJW thing in it, and I mean it's 1990, right? So it's um, before that really is a thing, but it was a very pro you know. B- they're they're going to atone for the 1968 version of Barbara being this weak woman who yeah, can't defend bit. herself, and then they're going to make the 1991 like this woman of the 90s, right? I suppose the, I
2: just I feel like um, I, yeah they may have been atoning for it, but at the same time it's still more interesting to watch. So that I don't know what the exigence was for the for the character change, but like I, I mean I would have I would have written it that way even without feeling bad about the, the old character. I think because so, so if they're visiting the mother and the mother was tyrannical, which is what they sort of mentioned, um, and the brother's picking on her, um, it, like her, her father was either absent or, or weak. And then all it takes is a little bit of strength from Ben when he shows up to like settle her down. And then she just immediately breaks, breaks away from this old, um, life and starts, you know, creating sort of building agency for herself, I guess.
0: Right. So, and I noticed she had a little bit of a break herself when she, um, confronts the first zombie in the house on her own and just starts, you know, beating him with the, uh, what is it? The, the fire poker. Yeah. She's just kind
2: of, you know, realizing what violence is and, and, you know, killing your first piece of food or whatever,
0: I guess. Right. And I, I got a feeling of, um, in Watchmen when Rorschach takes the meat cleaver to the, uh, to the yeah. pedo guy. Looked over for him there. Right. And, and it, there's a big, um, in the comic book and Robert, you can correct me on this, but I believe that Rorschach Prior to that that event, and and it wasn't exactly the same, but his his um his dialogue boxes were more uniform. And then after that event, where he kills the the pedophile, all of his content boxes, all of his text boxes are erratic. Oh, I didn't realize that.
2: I didn't notice that the first time or the one time I re- read it.
1: Yeah, that may be true. I mean, the that is the key moment in Vorsach's character where he switches from realizing that humanity cannot be redeemed and it, he is out to serve justice.
2: The, uh, plural he to e- ethicist to um, diatonistic moralist, I guess, something like that. That
1: sounds about right.
2: E- ethical pluralist, I guess, is the, or ethical um, relativist, something like that. Pragmatic to crazy
0: <laughs> hardcore. Yeah, it's like it's the difference between you and us. <laughs>
2: I'm not, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I guess I just got to catch a pedophile and, like, hit him with a meat cleaver, what is it, what is it? men get arrested, animals get put down, or just like, yeah, Yep. <laughs> you go. always me going to go on. You guys got to do RoboCop. Actually, everything that uh, Paul Verhoeven did, he just he he made satire about fascism, you know. And, and it makes satire, or it makes fascism look really, really appealing. In in RoboCop, is that what you're saying? Well, RoboCop and um, Starship Troopers look like a very functioning society, you know. Everyone's you know, you're know, you not allowed to vote unless you're part of the military. And I'm doing my part. You've seen this, right? Like
0: oh the, yeah yeah the little uh, uh, promo you know, video they so do. It's so
2: clean and beautiful, and you know people get tried <laughs> in an afternoon and to death the next day and you know it's appealing and Robocop shoots rapists in the dick because he can catch them right so <laughs> that's true that's <laughs> what he does so, yeah. <clears throat> there are drawbacks to fascism though unfortunately so we can't just uh... what yeah there there's a couple uh, okay sorry uh, Night of the Living Dead Night I Living as Dead as though, yeah I, I felt as though yeah she just needed like um it's, it's just interesting generals in or not generals but um roles that have gender in the film, the 1990 version. I just thought it was interesting because uh, she, she has agency and I, I didn't really see it as an SJW thing. I, I mean, yeah, maybe a woman of the nineties, but um, like women have always been able to like fight if they had to. Right. It's just maybe not in the 1968.
1: I'm not sure. but um, Right. But there has been a trend and I don't know exactly when this happened. Maybe you guys can help me figure this out. But watching this 1990 version, I was struck by, huh, you don't really hear that anymore. Every time there's something going wrong, there's a woman shrieking hysterically. And it got to be so old. And i it seemed like such a trope. And it's like, oh, yeah, they used to do that all the time. And now you don't see it anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when it. that happened, it's but I'm amusing. glad it's gone because it is super annoying.
2: Well, it, it, it adds to the terror, right? You're watching the experience to be like sort of frightened. or, or um, uh, Does it? of the grandma. or oh, well, does it
1: just I mean, maybe it did at the time but now it just sticks out like a th- sore thumb to me yeah
2: back then but, it was, oh yeah. Like,
1: yeah yeah there's it's a crazy zombie crazy. on the screen so there's a woman shrieking and screaming
2: yeah and they had three of them obviously now. they can't yeah. handle their shit in the 68 version I don't think any of those female characters had any agency or depth at all to them right they were just they were pretty much interchangeable um, and they just yeah they pretty much just yelled when zombies showed up and I, I like that I like the new Barbara character in the 1990s she puts on pants and gets a gun and you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, and she. I didn't did. like it when she was wasting ammo.
2: She kept, yeah, like, firing into the. But she did have to. She did have to command every or uh, lead everybody to. The what she understood about the situation, because she was the most rational. You know, talking about leaving, um, boarding yourself up is just not an option with with what was happening.
0: Right, and how slow the the zombies yeah. move. And
2: it, it's instinct, right? Because um, you know, you you want to just you know cord yourself off, but at some point, um, they you know they're gonna break down any defense you can you can raise. But
1: but ultimately, Cooper had their winning answer: climb up yeah. into the attic. Yeah, with the only, pull down ladder. That
2: through his own cowardice, right? Like in, the, in yeah, the,
1: but that. zombies can't climb. You know, pull on little drops. Strings, you can just pull that drawstring up. They're not going to find you up there.
2: Yeah, but you're stuck there, right? You you can only bring so much food up into an attic.
1: That's true. But he ended up having the winning answer for this because it was just a one-night thing.
2: Well, I think yeah. Well, I'm glad Barbara. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Had an even better answer for him because he was a real
1: (laughs) okay. That's a good question. What did everybody feel about that?
2: Um, he he broke a few uh, naps, I think. I I mean, trying to think of an example. He did try to take her gun away at one point, and in the middle of a. A crisis you know uh, yeah which which maybe didn't yeah, she was using it at the time and yeah, yeah, she yeah. Needed it. <laughs> and like he wasn't cooperative so that's fine maybe that's not punishable by death but he certainly and he didn't cause necessarily the the house to be overrun but he didn't uh, he, he contributed to the downfall of their defenses and he directly inhibited the survival of, of more than one character. So, I mean, I might, yeah. Well, he he shot you're at giving her, too. You're giving her a path? No, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, he shot, yeah, he shot, I mean, it's understandable because it's his daughter, but he shot Ben, and we all like
0: Ben, so. I mean, yeah, and, and he shot right. at her, and she was the one who ended up killing the daughter, right? Or putting the daughter down. Uh, yeah. Did she? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. yeah,
2: she did, she did. Yeah, that was yeah. a real cluster
0: F. Of the situation. Yeah. So in my mind, this okay. when, when okay. she encountered Cooper at the end, I, I thought that uh, he would still be upset about her being the one who put his daughter down. And so she would like, he, he said, Oh, you're here or something like that. Like something somewhat friendly.
2: Yeah. He's a pretty wooden character though. He's kind of quite, quite a jerk for big right. think there's you know, you need an antagonist.
0: Yeah. He certainly was a big jerk. Um, now one, one last thing on, on the 1990 Barbara and then we can move on to some of the other stuff. Uh, I didn't realize that she had any lines until about a third of the way into the movie. Like all she did was shriek and scream for the first 20 minutes. in um, oh, the 1990 the, version. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because I, I just think that makes a better like arc for her, right? And it's pretty reasonable to just like lose your shit when people are eating each other in front of you, <laughs> or you know, you <laughs> right. Um, so and her brother, her,
1: yeah, but her. Hmm? No, I mean just yeah, her brother is forgotten in the 90 90 version that I saw. It, was he not in the '68 version?
2: Yeah, he was. He um he shows up at the end as a zombie. Oh, okay. And she, yeah, she goes back. She regresses.
0: Yeah, puts her over the edge. Yeah, we're we're not quite there in the playback behind you there, Mike, which Robert cannot see. He's only connected via phone. Oh, interesting, hiding his identity. That's good That's good tactic. I like it. Uh, right. So, so, go ahead, Robert.
1: Well, this movie is famously deep. It's been read into and analyzed from a variety. uh,
2: I think it's deeper than the artists intended it to be.
1: Yes. There's been a lot of reading into. Yeah. Um, Do either of you guys see a lot of these themes that people are talking Uh, about? They see this commentary on racism or capitalism?
2: No, I didn't see it as racism or capitalism so much as the more of an abstract. I mean, okay. So as a side note, um, Romero, I don't know if it was Romero or the casting director, I saw a documentary and they talked about, um, they hired a black guy for the role because he was the best actor that auditioned for the role. So I don't know, it's, it's some sort of meritocracy, um, figuring out the whole diversity issue in film. Like, I was pretty happy about hearing that, but they just simply hired yeah, good. Guy That's right. for the role. That's fantastic. Right. Um, so yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, they obviously like, you know, you, you couldn't really cast a different guy for that with the, you know, the politics of, of filming you know, in the ni- 1990 or whatever, but I don't, like, it wasn't really supposed to be a thing. It wasn't really an issue. And there was a little bit of that in, I don't know, I didn't really see the, the antagonism between Cooper and Ben as being racial, really, in a lot in any way. Um, maybe I'm just being naive, but I feel like they had enough, they had kind of a class sort of disparity, I think, to begin yeah, they, with. Well, it
1: had a strategy difference, was the main yeah. thing that I saw in the 1990 version
2: yeah and that so was the like, main yeah.
1: draw of yeah we I believe this is the best way to go you believe that's the best way, way to go and I like that Ben was very much he's anarchic about it he's like well if you believe that you go ahead and go do that and then I'll go do this thing that I believe and we'll be fine
2: no 100% yeah it's just you be the boss down and they, they say it in both movies you you're the boss down there I'm the boss up here which is not necessarily anarchical but it gets the point across um, yeah, I guess there's there's sort of a middle management feel to Cooper and a working class feel to Ben, even though he's he's wearing a a, a collared shirt in both films. And, um seems like he's mm. a little bit lower than the sort of the cushiness that a you know, buddy shows up. And in the 1990 version, um, Cooper's wearing a, a disheveled tuxedo, right? Or a black tie. So, I mean, he's obviously oh, you
0: know, a little bit... I didn't
1: tiny. even notice that.
2: Yeah, so there is a little bit of a comment, not necessarily on the economics, but on the mindset of people in different sort of uh, social statuses, which I don't think is negative to the movie at all because that's true. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are detached from, from like some survival instincts when they're like that. When
1: right. I mean, that could be a commentary on, hey, you've, you've had a cushy life or at least yeah. you mm-hmm. live in a different world. You're not accustomed to getting your hands dirty and whatever, right. fighting for your life and whatever. And yeah, I kind wasn't of like sort of am.
2: It wasn't like some right? evil factory owner or something, you know, like, uh, but uh, I, I do see I do see zombies as a as an, ab, an abstract metaphor for sort of groupthink in society. And the individual is fighting off society their entire life you know, until they end up in a farmhouse just sort of boarding up windows and hoping that they don't get in, you know, and can form them. <laughs> yeah, go agorist, right? Yeah. Well and, and, and the irony of pretty much every zombie movie I've ever seen, um, there's always there's always the 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 orgy of, of them eating people at some point. There's always the institution, their their facility being overrun. And before that there's always a breakdown in the group's um, uh, hierarchy or, or government. And it's because, well, in my opinion, anyway, this is what I glean from it is that, uh, if you're an individual, you're a group of individuals fighting off the group think, you know, horde, um, that what, what stands most in your way is the fact that you can't cooperate <laughs> because you can't, you're not zombie. Everyone's got their own little sort of opinion. So it's an interesting, like sort of play with the, with the different competing philosophies, if that makes sense. Like we don't want to be sure. Zombies. We don't want to be zombies. We don't want to have like total, um, you know. Total, but do you sort
1: of, think it's a commentary on collectivism versus individuality, and essentially that the uh, the zombies end up killing a whole bunch of the individuals?
2: Yeah, because they always they always win, right? That's like think you know that's kind of why I think people are afraid of, of zombies. That's that's what rang true when I sort of I stopped being afraid of them when I realized where that fear was coming from for me personally. So. Uh, like it, the way you can be afraid of a horror film. I mean, I'm not super afraid of it, but so it is kind of a scary notion being uh, outnumbered like that, with you know, with no with no appeal system. Kind of the way um, mm-hmm. Body Snatchers worked as well. You know, this the 1970 version, not the red scare one. Yeah. Now,
0: do the zombies actually win in either of these, though? Because isn't it the redneck posse that ends yeah, they, up coming yeah, in they, saving the day in both?
2: Yeah, they do. They do sort of. They always piss me off. Um, how bad of shots all these rednecks are like they're this gun culture. Like I, I'll buy that they're a bit hickish and that they're kind of you know, uncouth uh, and maybe not like nice looking necessarily, but the idea that they'd miss a lot of shots or just be spraying ammunition all over the place just seems absurd <laughs> to me for, for what is, you know, a bunch of people that are used to shooting weapons. You know? Right.
1: It is, it is, it is like a left mainstream, like, I mean, Romero wasn't a mainstream Hollywood type, but yeah, it is like Hollywood's interpretation of what a hick is.
2: Yeah. And I just thought, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, when the zombies show up, you're going to rethink those gun
1: laws. Yeah, exactly. for more guns,
0: yeah. (laughs) So one of the things I noticed, and and this may have perhaps been an inconsistency in the 1968 version, but that is that some of the zombies appeared to have some level of intelligence and some had some athletic ability, some swiftness. Like the the first one that chased her out of the... uh, out of the cemetery was pretty spry. I mean, it was like coming after her and moving at bricks. Right. Yeah. They're smashing out windows and smashing out the headlights. They didn't like light. And so they were smashing that. They smashed her car window to get into the car. Uh, There was also another one that like picked up a, um, it looked like a rope, but perhaps that was supposed to be like human entrails, perhaps, but uh, there was a a certain level of intelligence in the 1968 zombies and not, not in the 1991.
2: When Romero, um, Romero furthered those ideas in Dawn and Day of the Dead, especially Day of the Dead. Uh, was that the one with the like super fast zombies? No, no, no. That's like uh, 20 or 28 days, days later. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of zombies. Zombies are all fast now. There was like a period where zombies had to be fast for a while because we have to shake the camera around. And, um, but uh, Romero toyed with the idea of zombies relearning old old ideas that were in their head. So they, when they were in the mall in Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um, they. You know, they were basically shoppers. They were consumers, right? So it was kind of a commentary on, on them being, like, part of this. And that starts to irk me, you know. I, the abstract, and I, I don't even know if he evolved to that or, or whatever. But um, And then by, by Day of the Dead, they were a scientist was trying to train a zombie to uh, relearn old skills because he was a soldier, you know, so he was trying to get him to, like, salute and fire a gun and stuff. And he ended up doing it. And then he came out of retirement and made Land of the Dead as well. And in that one, they're they're fully using tools. Oh, to, interesting. Yeah. To, there's like a rich tower where all the poor, poor people are beneath the rich people. And the zombies all show up in hordes. And
0: okay, yeah I, yeah. I think he'd like that one a lot. No, I, I have seen that. Now that now that you mentioned, it. I've seen the mall one, and I've seen the one where the rich people are living in the tower with like security guards keeping people out, and yeah. and it gets overrun. Yeah, it's been a while. It's like at least ten years. So yeah,
2: well, L- Louisiana was in that one, so I was pretty was pretty happy with it. Don't have in
0: the past. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Back when you could make a very racist film. Yeah, can't do that anymore. No. Uh, so. Uh, Robert, what direction you want to take us uh, at this point? Um, there's the, the whole trope with the they want to gas up the vehicle to be able to get to the nearest um, government uh, safety station, right? Uh, so it, it, part of the film, they're all waiting around for the emergency broadcast to tell them what to do, right? What are the authorities telling us to do? Like we can't make a decision for ourselves, and there's these... Uh, Crisis stations that we need to get to, where's the nearest town, and oh, we only have so much gas so we got to get to the that gas pump.
2: Me. Sorry if I may um, that reminds me in the in the 1990 version I keep okay, we have to keep <laughs> uh, designating which one it is. Uh, they have a little talk, and it, it's funny because Ben's going over the different possibilities about how everybody's talking on the radio and whatnot, and he says, this is something nobody's ever seen before, and it's like that's the scariest thing anyone can think of. It's something we haven't seen before. Like, Revelations would be fine, you know, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, like, we've been indoctrinated to understand how to deal with these problems, right? Because they're just a natural sort of cycle of good and evil or whatever. Uh, but the idea that, like, we've never seen this before and, like, now who's going to tell us what to do is exactly the most terrifying thing to the, to the characters. Like, you know, like, there's, there's no TV telling me how I'm supposed to behave or, or you know, how to deal with a zombie, right? Right,
1: yeah, the great also. unknown is the most afraid thing, scary thing. Right, yeah, as in any good horror movie, is the thing unseen is the most frightening mm-hmm. thing because yeah, you're, yeah, whatever you can imagine is going to be far more scary than what anybody can manage to put on screen. Um, I just want to mention why I like zombie movies in general, the idea of the zombie and how zombies work in general as a as an antagonist. Because um, really, the zombies are more of just a like an elemental force there there's no thinking nature to them so they're like the collective versus the individual or yeah. but it's really more about what this threat the the pressure that's being put upon the humans the the people that yeah. are still alive so we God. get that the humans are actually more dangerous than the zombies so like if the humans could actually cooperate like they all have a, a vested interest in surviving and you would think that, you know, if we all have this vested interest in surviving, it's, it's, it's the same as the anarchic argument for collective defense. Like we would all band together to collectively defend like an invasion by some state or what have you. Yeah,
2: I think they tried to um, cover
1: that in their, your constitution
2: at one point, some of the amendments.
1: Yes, yes, there is a very famous amendment that kind of talks about that a little bit. And it's uh, under attack, but, you know, whatever. Uh, the constitution is constantly not doing That's its job. But it is a piece of paper. But um, I appreciate in this movie that, yeah the humans are more dangerous than the zombies. It's, it's really uh, the cooperation and the dealing with the interpersonal relationships that ensures whether you're going to survive or not. Because you are facing this, this pressure that you've never experienced before. And how are you going to react to it? How are you going to deal with it? That really reveals the protagonist, the character that we're you know, interested in, that we're trying to invest ourselves in as an audience to see if we want to root for these people or not. And so... For a movie where you have an antagonist that you can't relate to other than, you know, this is a pure horror thing. Like, you know, if you, if you watch any kind of horror movie, you're not really relating to Jason or Michael Myers or Freddie. You don't really understand their yeah, motivation. You're supposed to
2: relate to the victim, or else you're, you're the monster.
1: Right. So, you know, and, I, I mean, they're... in most. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just think that's the function of a horror
2: film. Like that's why it scares you, because um, there's only killers and victims in, in horror films, especially the slashers. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. your conscience won't let you associate with the killer. Right? It's it's it, it's sort of the opposite of a war film, where there's there's no glory. Yes. There. It's just the whimpering death. You you're the victim of the you know you're in the the whimper end of the gun. So, right. So right. And your subconscious won't let you be Jason. You know you have to be the victim. And so you're 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 sort of terrified by this this looming force. That this. this uh, lumbering force coming towards you that you can't right help. this
1: force of nature that you can't negotiate with. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, exactly. Hundred percent. Yeah, so yeah, uh horror movies do reveal uh an interesting facet of human nature. And I think this 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 one in particular did a really good job of that. Even though uh, the 1990 version, which I re- saw most recently, I've seen the original a long time ago, but the 1990 version I saw recently suffers from a lot of the bad 90s music and the uh, the sweet yeah, there's, 80s there's styles and all yeah. that good stuff. I just I
2: I feel like I'm not sure if Tom Savini was trying to make it campy, but I feel like that's exactly what happened because there's there's truly like horrific moments in that in that movie, and then there's a lot of sort of it doesn't take me out of it, though. It, it's just very campy, kind of uh, almost homage, you know, to the 1930s to 60s cinema. Or it's just, yeah. like, the characters are, you know, they say outlandish, kind of, you know, just do what I tell you, Judy Rose, and then he kisses her and, and runs away. Like, it's just, it, you know, some of it's ludicrous, right? But, like, it, it, almost, it almost adds a... a fitting juxtaposition or contrast, right?
0: Yeah, and, and to think that that guy in, in either of the films is a teenager is ludicrous.
2: Yeah, 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 I know, right? That's 40-year-olds playing 20-year-olds. That's just always the way it is. Oh, there was, um, when Cooper says, uh, there was one sort of classist thing, he says, like, and the kid doesn't even own a car, if you can believe it, right? Like, and the kid's supposed to be 18, and the idea that this kid doesn't own a car is just, like, inconceivable to Cooper, right? So it really gives you, uh, you know, his elitism or his status, sort of, you know, in, in one line, right? There's a lot of lines like that from, from Cooper. It, right, coming yeah. To, coming back to the sort of the classist kind of elements to it, which I don't think, they didn't play any of that stuff too hard. I think, honestly, it's just that force of nature, like like you said, um, yeah, you know, the the collective versus the individual and how you just sort of fight that off. And it's very different than any other horror film for that reason. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, now, did, right. I did like that Cooper had a different perspective because he had a daughter to protect. I mean, he didn't realize yeah. that she was going to turn into a zombie, but as everybody else was in it just for themselves, but he had a family to consider. Yeah. So I almost kind of sympathized with him on that level, even though he was being a major prick the entire movie. He yeah. didn't want to engender anybody's like good side. He was just completely antagonistic the entire time. Yeah. I, I think a better strategy would have been to engender some assistance saying, Hey, I've got this sick daughter. Uh, maybe a little bit of help i think people would have responded to that no
2: absolutely just i the I mean, dick the whole time the character was written like a dick boss right basically like he's he's less intelligent he's not he's not being very rational uh, and then right. and then independent of that he has other motivations that go beyond the scope of what the other characters are doing um, and so those you know sort of create the perfect storm of you know pretty irrational behavior or antagonistic behavior if that makes sense
1: right but it, yeah it, it was uh, from from a screenwriting standpoint i do appreciate the Different perspectives and converging elements that create drama and tension and conflict and that sort of thing.
2: On a shoestring. So I, uh,
1: what's that? On a shoestring,
2: really, because there's only, whatever, five, six characters.
1: Yeah. I mean, $114,000 budget, and yeah, for a first time filmmaker, yeah, this was really well done. I'm surprised. I'm kind of surprised, even though it was free to do another, you know, I didn't have to pay any kind of royalties or whatever to do another Of the Dead movie. That Romero, I mean, he, maybe he just struck lightning, or I mean, he seems yeah, like I mean, a really talented he, guy. Well, that he could have done anything, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that is kind of odd. He's not like, I mean, I really like his films. He did, um, he did a bit of uh, creep show, I think. Okay. He did, he did other horror films and stuff like that. He just never made it big because um, he's not, I don't know, he's not like a Kubrick or a Spielberg. right? He's just pretty good. He just, you know, he did catch a lightning in a bottle. Um I'm not sure if it's kind of like the Star Wars situation where you know there's just a lot of other artists that you don't hear about that were contributing. Mm, mhm. Right. Or, or limitations, maybe it was a limitation. Um and he did I mean he came out of retirement to do Land of the Dead and then he did like Diary of the Dead and then something else and they were I mean they were technically proficient but they were pretty bad movies, you know. Mhm. So, uh, kind of take the shine off of his legacy for me anyway.
1: So it sounds kind of like a uh, George Lucas type of situation then a little yeah. bit. I mean, art's, art's really good when you got a frame around
2: it. If you don't hone it or hedge it in, then it's, it's out of control.
1: That's a good point. I like
0: it. Yeah, well, what do you boys say? Should we start rounding uh, third base here and yeah, uh, yeah, I, make some final uh, points and then get into our rating system where we do black and gold or red and black?
2: Oh, I wanted to ask you guys, like, is that, that's not just economics though, right? Like, do you, do you base it solely on the econ- the economy of the film or, or is it just whether it's a thumbs up or thumbs down?
0: It's essentially a thumbs up, thumbs okay. down. I just
2: uh, really I was like, like I said, some of the best pro- or best movies are propaganda. <laughs>
1: like, oh know. yeah, oh, we, get a lot of, we get a lot of, yeah, mileage out of uh, terrible propagandistic movies for sure.
2: Yeah. yeah, this is fun, right? And if it's art, then that's fine. I got no issue with it.
0: Yeah, I think our Man of Steel episode was actually pretty good, uh, even though the movie was not. <laughs> yeah,
2: get a lot of mileage out of it. And, I, you know, like some of the action sequences are kind of fun to watch. I wouldn't watch it again. Yeah. Um, but even like, well, I, to, I, I yeah. enjoyed Hacksaw Ridge for what it was, because it's just, it, on top of like whatever uh, sort of context, uh, it's also a very good sort of film, in, in my opinion, right? So I can enjoy the story, even if I disagree with the, the reason the story exists, if that makes sense.
0: Um,
2: sure, but,
1: yeah, no, Yeah. absolutely.
2: And like a Robocop, you know, pretty fascist kind of film, but it's fantastic to watch. You know, Um, so I'd... uh you know, well,
1: yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, half the the most talented people in Hollywood are leftists. I mean, commie leftist types. So yeah,
2: and they, they, I mean, it's fine if they make art as long as they don't make decisions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, they sort of are making decisions if you well, believe that's in the whole right? politics like, down to the culture was, stuff. Yeah,
2: if they weren't in bed with each other, if
0: if the media
2: wasn't an extension of government, then it would be fine. And it is fine for a great number of artists that are not successful to the to the level of you know to, the, the hacks running Hollywood. I mean, I, I, I don't even mind Spielberg films, and they are they got a kind of a weird sort of pseudo-propagandic feel to a lot of them. At least, the, and, and the Chris Nolan ones are as well, but they're, you know, technically proficient.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're, we're somewhat fans of, of Nolan. We've done a few of his films, and we found uh, Dark Knight to be fairly libertarian-leaning in, in many respects. Like the part
2: that um, says it's okay to listen to everyone's cell phone because we got to catch the Joker?
0: Well, Alfred was being the... the Voice of the voice reason there. Of reason, yeah. oh, and, and Lucius as well, I guess. Lucius,
2: but, yeah. Yeah, no, sir, um, I know. I always thought Batman is a, an analogy for government, and, and his, his various villains were just uh, reasons why government needs to exist. Oh, I Really? See
1: that, that's interesting, because most yeah, people see a, Batman as the vigilante of the individual.
2: Well, he is, but he's also the um, justification of force and, and you know, violence through authority, or authority through violence. So, that I mean, yeah, is, that you is. can read it, you can kind of read it both ways, and, you know, it didn't, it, it really it's, just started. Yeah, I would,
1: I would, I would so. yeah, I think it would depend on the situation where Batman is either responding, you know, as a justice enforcer or as an initiator of violence. I yeah,
2: think a so when story. they, yeah, when they make the modern films, he's always like, uh, you know, the crime's gotten so bad, you need to get on the street and start naming people. And, and, and cleaning right. up the streets, right? So, and no, totally, I mean, he's, he's certainly like... You know, uh, a free market version of a superhero, 100%. And I, I do like the uh,
1: recreational tank. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what would yeah, you? Good. What would you give your final recommendation or of the uh, Living dead? Um, I think I'd give them both the uh, black and
2: golden. Um, even though we've kind of uncovered a little bit of, the pseudo, I don't know, classes and or classes sort of of stuff in there but uh, I I enjoyed them both and especially with this new synth version for the old film it really filled in the gaps
1: yeah speaking as a former well I still I'm probably still really dumb but as a former like lefty artist type guy where people will read into your work any number of things that you had never intended or that maybe were just percolating in the back of your consciousness and you never really realized it but um, for a guy like Romero to make this movie um I will go ahead and give him the, the credit for being, making a really, really interesting, compelling story. Um, prior to this, I know we didn't really mention this, but prior to this, uh, zombie movies had been mostly relegated to the, like, Haitian voodoo-type yeah. style zombie, like with movies like White Zombie and other things like that. Yeah. He's the one that really kind of came out and turned them into flesh eaters, and p- before they were more kind of like thrall-type, do-my-bidding-type creatures.
2: Well, and now the they're story more of like a mindless... Like you said, the story was more about the, um, the characters being uh, pressured by the external sort of natural force. So. Yeah. So, yeah, like uh, that is kind of a different version of a horror film, just altogether.
1: Yeah, so whether it was dumb luck or intentional or whatever, but uh, these movies really came together for me. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I remember re- really enjoying the original 1968 version, and then the 1990 version I felt was a little bit a little bit cheesy for me yeah it's a little bit a little bit 80s 90s Hollywood type kind of crap fest but uh, still good I mean the story is the same essentially so that's really cool um, but yeah. I, I think yeah. I enjoyed I'd the see. black and white and better I'd like to just still love, love black, and black and
2: gold super movie if I could because there's elements of the 1990 I like even some of the dialogues better and some of the dialogue mm-hmm. were
1: right yeah definitely you know do the Mike, improvements you. of the story
2: do the
0: mic see super cut? yeah yeah, that's right. Get some sense in there. Do my own soundtrack. There he is. Yeah, that's right. That would be good. Well, uh, my uh, my overall rating and review is is also a, uh, well, it's a it's a split decision actually. I'm gonna go 1968 black and gold and the 1990 uh, black and red. Even though they're mostly the same story, but there was such a big contrast in the eerie feel of of the 1968 version versus the 1990. 1990 was like so camp, right? Uh and, and yeah. I think a lot of that had to do with just the um the style of movie making at the time and, and the looks the look and, and clothing style of, of what people were wearing at the time. I mean probably well, I was in fourth grade then, so I was probably wearing uh this type of hairstyle and this type of clothing and looked equally ridiculous. But uh the nineteen sixty eight one, I mean it just kinda holds up more. I mean they're just wearing like normal really kind of clothes. It doesn't really stand out as being really all that period, uh but the nineteen ninety one definitely definitely does. Um, I, I, I liked how the Ben character in the 1968 one, he had a lot more depth to him in that he was actually like Robert, you had mentioned, uh, the, the people within the individual group were actually more dangerous to each other than the zombies were, uh, until the zombies, you know, finally broke in. But in the 1990 version, the Ben character is, is sort of tamer and the, the, the voice of reason. Uh, but in 1968, he's like punching Barbara, he's punching Cooper several times. And then he ends up shooting Cooper, uh, well, for not immediately letting him in. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a vengeance thing, right? Cause Cooper eventually does let him in, but he didn't let him in fast enough. I feel and like there was, a, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. Um,
2: there, there was a couple of moments in the 1990 version that almost felt like they were speaking directly to the old movie. Like, um, like specifically that, um, like I don't I don't want to go out there uh, with only him in here in, in the in the in the remake. So he tells Barbara he's not gonna he wants her inside because he doesn't trust Cooper as though he's seen the old movie. <laughs> Wait, oh, interesting. I know this guy. I watched him last time. <laughs> yeah, like you know, they locked me out. I, I, I did this last time, so I'm gonna you know. And so they they almost like sort of uh, uh, you know tweak the mistakes there. Telegraph the Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and Ben gets a, a bit more development I think in the 68 version. Like, he, get, he talks about how he killed as he ran over some zombies.
0: Right, yep. The yeah. living dead. Uh, and he and says, I, bodies, bodies flying.
2: Yeah, and it's horrific for him, right? And so it's more more development on his transition from being, you know, a normal person to somebody surviving the crisis, which is, you know, where you're... I mean, the, the zombies look like people, so that's probably pretty upsetting to somebody that doesn't want to murder people.
0: Right, but th- you're right, there is that whole development with the Ben character because, you know, he, he starts out being... Um, friendly and and relatively, uh, I don't know, like aware of what's going on and and trying to come up with a rational, you know, escape plan or or a way to mitigate the disaster. But then he starts escalating in the violence, right? He starts uh, with hitting Barbara and then hitting Cooper and then shooting Cooper. And then when the redneck posse shows up the next day, they mistake him for a zombie and shoot him. And then his transition is complete. He is a zombie. And then they show the Still, photographs over the end credits of him being dragged out uh, and brought yeah. to the fire, and so that's like his entire arc. You know, he actually became the monster that they were fighting against in the yeah. 1968.
2: That's interesting, actually. I didn't know you mentioned it. Yeah, they, they, the the remake did lose a lot of of that sort of stuff, and then gained a bunch of other stuff. Like I said, I'd like to see some. I mean, I guess I can just remake the film. Yeah, you go for it. <laughs> and you, there'd be lineups, you know, on the street to be extras as zombies. Sure. I mean, they, they didn't even have to pay people in the, in the remake to be zombies.
0: Right, and depending on which part of town you go to, you don't even need to, like, yeah, I mean, I could dress them up.
2: Too much makeup. Yeah. <laughs> some of the you know, some places with a lot of mess.
0: Yeah, and uh, so the Ben character in 1990 version, he also becomes a zombie, but he's more of a um, he has that like laugh to himself, like the key's been here the whole time, ha ha ha, you know this defeatist thing. Yeah, but he's still kind it. of the good guy at the end, and then he dies yeah. and becomes a zombie.
2: Yeah, see, Barbara yells at um, him and Cooper when he goes after Cooper at the very end, like stop it, you you know, you stupid men. Basically, is kind of kind of what I got from that a little bit because they're they get they end up antagonizing to the point where like one of them has to die, you know. Uh, and it does seem pretty like pig-headed at that point. Like, but he's like, "Oh, you shot me. Well, you're gonna get it now." Like, so and uh, so and then yeah, he ends up downstairs basically, and kind of has a laugh to himself and has a cigarette. And so they they sort of bring his character back a little bit, but they do show they do show like negativity there, I think.
0: Yeah, and you know the the other thing with the 1968 is that, and this will be my final comment that we can uh, close this down and potentially go into some caffeine turnover overdrive if you're game. You can turn the turn the frogs gay. Eh? You got the wrap it up box.
2: Yeah, that was um, the wrap it up.
0: <laughs> oh man, I just I just uh, might have oh, lost no. it. I'm sorry, man. Uh oh. Oh boy, what was it? What was uh, we're it? We're
2: talking about we're talking about Ben being downstairs having a cigarette, finding the keys.
0: Yeah, finding the keys, finding the keys, and it's gone. Oh my goodness. Ah, uh, that's my my bad. Sorry. No, that's all right. It'll come up in the uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which we can go into uh, uh, shortly after we. Uh, let our audience, Mike, know where they can find your work, and uh, if you've got any potential projects in the future, we can certainly push yeah, them here I on just, our site. I
2: want all the I want all the money for the projects that I'm working on, so I don't want to tell anybody about any aspect of it. <laughs> so I can produce something worth selling. Um, but they, you know, you feel you can download my music on on SoundCloud. I'll I'll give you the link. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm proud of it. I basically just made a lot of it to to dance and and uh, and work out to myself. So, but it, it, I've gotten. Fairly good feedback from it. From my 12 followers.
0: <laughs> All right. Sounds awesome. And what's the name of that again? And then we'll also have it in the show notes page. Mechanical Dream Revolution, one word.
2: Mechanical uh, Dream Revolution. Yeah, okay. and the, uh, the album, the, the better playlist, I think, that you would enjoy is called Stir the Pod. Okay, very and good.
1: And if, if you could define a genre, what would uh, you call it?
2: I have a mix of electronica and classical music. Um, so oh, classical, okay. So sort the of classical, some... some Classical loops, uh, mixed in with, uh, um, sort of trance, hard trance. And earlier, I was doing some breakbeat and some acidy trance kind of stuff. Uh, I did a dubstep version of, uh, for release, I think at one point. Very nice. Yeah, so some of it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely check that. I'll probably be listening to that as I uh, edit away on this episode, this very episode, which is actualanarchy.com slash 47, Night of the Living Dead. You can find more of our stuff at actualanarchy.com. And if you like what we do, support us at actualanarchy.com slash tip jar or at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash reedrothbard. I'd like to thank Mike C for being our guest. And I do remember what the thing is that I forgot, and that is the 1968 version is far superior because it ends on such a downer. It's sort of like... Empire Strikes Back, uh, where everything is like, there are, there are no winners in that one, and in the 1990 you get the, uh, you know, Sarah Connor survives at the end, so for me that just pushes that black and red, and so I, I go black and gold on the uh, on the older one, so super good I'd like to thank our guest and our audience for joining us, and uh, Robert, any final words before we go into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive turn the Frog's Gay and our Patreon bonus content for our supporting listeners
1: No, no final words, I really gotta pee Move it on. Wrap it up. Wrap it up, son.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us. Peace out, everyone. Peace. Later.
1: The Chipmunks.